0: Wessex LMC's supporting you and your practice. Welcome to the 11th of our weekly podcast for practice managers. This is a recording of the webinar run on Wednesday the 10th of June, where we were joined by three members of CQC. Emma, Patrick, do you want to introduce
1: yourself first? Yes, so hello everyone, I'm Emma Boger. I am an inspection manager that covers the Hampshire and Isle of Wight area.
2: Good afternoon everybody. My name is Patrick Ismond and I'm an inspector covering the mainly the Swindon area.
1: Good
3: afternoon and my name is Nicola Cliff and I'm an inspection manager for CQC but I cover um, Swindon Wiltshire area and um, my colleague Tiffany Joby who's the inspection manager for Dorset isn't able to join today um, but we're covering uh, all areas between um, Emma and I and Patrick so um, and we welcome any questions that you uh, would like to ask. If we can't answer them right now, then we will take them away as well um, to um, get answers for you. But the whole purpose of today is really to share um, the information around the emergency support framework, and also hopefully allay some of the fears that, um, or worries, or concerns, or you know anything else that you may have around that process. Um, We will talk about the process itself and we'll also give you all an indication of the numbers of practices that we are going to be having those initial conversations with later, which again, I think you'll be surprised at how relatively low those numbers are. But if I start first, um, Emma, if you want to introduce Mm -hmm. the process, if that's okay, and then um, Patrick and I will chip in as and when uh, we may need to. Is that okay with you?
1: Yeah, please do. So, um, okay, so I'll I'll just go give some general um, overview of what the support framework is um, setting out to do so you'll all be aware that we've ceased routine inspections um, that said we are still inspecting where there is absolute urgency but the numbers of those inspections are tiny i think there's been 10 nationally across all three inspection directorates um, so, while we are still able to inspect for the vast majority of practices, those routine inspections that perhaps some of you might have expected have been paused. Um, so, CQC still um, has a regulatory function to fulfil. Where we can't inspect, we need to be a bit smarter in the ways that we um, uh, achieve that. And the support framework is really trying to fundamentally and foremostly support practices in terms of um, how they are coping and managing through this pandemic. And our aim really through these conversations is where there is need that that is signposted to the appropriate um, bodies um, that we can speak in some cases on your behalf. Um, so, we, you'll be aware that we have regular engagement with CCGs um, and they're able to tell us about how things are feeling um, in particular CCG areas. But what we um, aren't doing regularly is, is hearing how it actually feels from GP providers themselves. So, we are able to feed some of your feedback into those conversations. Um, we're also really keen to hear about some of the innovation that you know all of you have dramatically changed the way that you're working during this this pandemic Um, and it's important that that's recognized and given due credit so the actual process of the support framework it's based on um a number of factors there is some brief information about it on our website which i'll i'll go through very briefly but Um, It's a risk-based tool, so it will look at obviously um, perhaps what your current rating is and what your current non compliance status is. It will look at time since last inspection. Um, It will look at your history of compliance, so have you been um, a good provider for a long period of time. Um, and it will also look at we've got 110 different GP indicators which feed into um, a risk-based model, which has been developed alongside KPMG. It was developed at PACE. Um, and I'll just give you a flavor of what some of those indicators are. just you know just for your awareness, so obviously there'll be things in there that you might expect to see anyway. So GP patient survey data some quaff data, prescribing data, but also things like what's your average number of patients per whole time GP? Because obviously that feeds into the conversation about staffing. So this, all of these different bits of information are put into the uh, the risk model and it will come up with four um, different category, categories of risk starting from very high risk down to low. And then it's the inspectors um, Uh, assessment of whether, so what I would say is that that those indicates that data, that assessment of risk is just the starting point for the conversation. So the inspector will often know um, the context behind some of those data figures and they will be able to make a judgment about whether or not they actually agree that the practice is high risk. So the direction for us at the moment is to focus on practices who have a a risk indicator of either very high or high risk. And uh, that's our starting point. We can give you an an indication of the numbers uh, in a moment. But what I will reiterate is that the inspector can choose to override uh, if they feel that a call with um, a practice is not warranted or perhaps would be unhelpful. So if I, if I just give you an idea of the numbers that we're talking about in Hampshire and Isle of Wight. So across um, the whole area for Hampshire and Isle of Wight, 17 practices would fall into the category of high risk or very high risk. Some of those we've been able to override for very straightforward reasons. So perhaps if you've, um, if you've chosen not to operate you know perhaps you're not operating at all you know you've consolidated resources across a PCN for example and we know that a provider isn't actually delivering services um, at the moment then obviously the questions within the tool are not really relevant or helpful to you so that's an example of where the inspector knowledge um, really overrides what the risk tool is saying that's a little bit about the the tool in terms of what the process is so um if you're one of those 17 practices and um you know you were approached to have ah uh, these conversations um so you'll know that the questions are already publicized on the website and i'm just to you look at them and you'll think i'm not you know not quite sure maybe if they are um perhaps necessarily is relevant for, for general practices perhaps other sectors but the questions are the same across all three inspection sectors so they're exactly the same for hospitals um, and adult social care as well so your inspector will make contact to um, try and arrange the call and that can be done at a time that is flexible to you so there's no time frames that are bound to this so you know you would agree a mutually convenient time and it is likely that the the call would take place via Microsoft Teams. Um, and then at the conclusion of that conversation, um, the inspector gives you a summary of what's been discussed and how um, you know how uh, the practice is is coping. Um, and I can share a little bit of information with you. So we've we've conducted nationally. 48 calls so far across across um, primary medical services, a far higher proportion in adult social care because they started a couple of weeks earlier than that um, and we've been able to capture some really good bits of innovation um, from those conversations. So I'm just going to pause there because I'm aware there's a few questions coming up and also Nicola you might want to share um, the numbers for your areas. Yeah if we could do that first because I think that would be helpful. So
3: in terms of um, the Dorset area we have uh, three practices that are highlighted as very high and high out of the 44 that we have registered. In Wiltshire we have um, four either high or very high and that's four out of 45. In Swindon we have four and that's four out of 21 practices and in Bath and North East Somerset we have uh, three sorry that um, is out of 25 practices so as you can see the numbers are very low and the same applies to uh, what Emma said before around some of those being deferred for a number of reasons for so for example um, in the Swindon area there are two practices that have been recently inspected that are under the trust um, and because we've recently inspected and we're in constant discussions with them, um, there's possibly a likelihood that we, we we may choose to defer those inspections because we're having those conversations, we know what's going on on the ground with those practices and so therefore we don't need to undertake the um, support framework call. So there's another example of why um, even though we've been highlighted with these numbers we may or may not choose to to go forward with a review for those those practices perhaps we need to oh so somebody said sorry i missed how many in wiltshire it was four out of 45. do we want to cover some of the
1: other questions i think somebody asked how many 17 out of how many so for hampshire Nile of white it's out of uh, 220. Um, do,
0: you want to go, do you want to start the questions now? Do the, the rest of the questions, Nicola? Is that we can answer
3: some yeah. now yeah, as we okay. go. Yeah, so,
0: um, so I think the practices are keen to find out which risk which, which risk category they've fallen into. Can they find that out?
3: Uh, we aren't publishing um, the risk categories for every pra- for uh, for any practice at all. The only practices that we will, at the moment, um, a decision internally, is that we will only be making contact with um, practices that have perhaps come out with a risk of high or very high. Um, any that may have come out as medium or low risk, if we've got other intelligence or other levels of concern, we may choose to review those particular practices. But they are... I mean, I haven't come across one yet in my area. I'm not sure about Emma, if, if you have. But they are very few and far between. But yeah, the only time you'll know whether you've been selected or you've your practice come out at a high is because we've made contact with you around being a high or very high risk and we wouldn't have a conversation with you.
0: So would you expect practice to kind of have guessed what risk that they're going to be at high risk because of previous inspections? Results, Perhaps, they, the they, they,
3: because of the categories that yeah. Emma described before that would give an indication as whether you're going to come out as high or very high. Um, but don't be surprised with the very rare odd occasion that we may have some other intelligence that has come in that may make us choose or, dis- or make a decision to
0: to inquire about making a call okay. that we need just, to. Just following up, the person asking a question about the risk is saying um, knowing about the categories is less about whether we'll get a call and more because it's a useful indication of how they are performing and yeah. what indicators you're looking at. I think, though, this I think what we have to remember is the, the support framework
3: is not necessarily about how you're performing the tool that we're using is being used to give us an indication as a start point as to practices that may require or may need some additional support or some pointers in some direction but it doesn't that's just a starting point because we have to start somewhere with an indication it's not for any reason being considered as a performance management tool at this stage under this framework
0: Okay. Um, Emma, I think you wanted to answer live about how many practices in your region.
1: I think I've done that. But yeah, just to reiterate, it was um, seven, 17 out of around 220. Um, that There's a question on the chat I can see about the um, the proportion of very high to high. So of those 17, three are considered to be very high. Okay, thank you. Um,
0: CQC mentioned um, full-time equivalent GPs per 1,000 patients. What about nurses, paramedics? Are we sure that looking at whole-time equivalent GPs is a a good indicator?
1: I think it's just one indicator of many around staffing complements. So really, I touched on that because it was just to give you an indication of the types of of the 110 different indicators that there are that, that contribute to that risk score. Okay. Uh, And
3: just to add further to that, sorry, um, um, Louise. You know, if we remember that the support framework is um, the calls that are being undertaken, and the assessments are very much with the relationship owners, and in most cases, the people that have the relationship owner um, uh, relationship with their practice, they will understand. that actually, within a model of practice in some areas, there may be, a, or there is now, uh, GPs are not the only resource that see patients, and so they will understand that. So that might be an indicator that flags up, but actually, the, the inspector can say to them, to themselves, actually, I know in that practice, there are other clinicians supporting G, uh, patients' consultations, etc., and and that you know, in terms of a positive factor. So it's just a very early initial indication. It's not one that would make us say, we're definitely gonna have a phone call there just because of that particular item.
0: Okay, there's obviously a little bit of anxiety about the categories. Um, The practice is saying surely it'd be helpful to know which category we're in because there's so much work to do before the phone calls, it would just be helpful to know if you're likely to get one. Otherwise, it's that a lot of work that you're doing unnecessarily. I think it might be helpful um, when
3: Emma describes the process and the phone call, and if everybody hasn't seen the types of questions, the types of questions that we're asking predominantly are solely about COVID 19 and the management of that in your practice. And it's questions that, you know, most of the time, you're, they're, they're, it won't require a significant amount of prepare, preparation for, like you may have experienced in the annual regulatory review process. Um,
1: I'm correct in saying that, Emma, aren't I? Yes, you are. Yeah. I mean, I can give you, um, you know, I can give you an example question um, if that would be helpful. So, the the um, the areas that the the call focuses on there are four areas. Um, so we look at um, systems and processes, um, safeguarding and abuse, uh, safe care and treatment, and staffing. So those are the four areas. And then, you know, if if I pick an example question, um, so under um, staffing arrangements, there are only two questions. One is, were there enough suitable staff to provide safe care and treatment? Um, And the other is around um, having realistic and workable plans for managing staffing levels. Um, So I think... Those are the answers that I would imagine, um, you know, just taking those as an example, that you would have readily available. And it's certainly not the intention that there's a huge amount of preparation uh, and work needed to support those those conversations. But, you know, please tell me if if I'm wrong in that assumption.
3: The, the other thing to bear in mind and i'm not sure if everybody's seen them but we will most certainly send the link i think carol we may have already shared it with yeah. you but is that the, all of the questions that we will be asking are on the website and so to uh, if you have a look at some of those questions i think you'll uh, maybe then have an understanding that there isn't a degree of a huge amount of preparation or you know for you to collate lots of information and we certainly and, and, Apart from in very, very extreme cases, we certainly will not be asking for any information from practices other than their verbal update on that phone call. And we won't be just phoning you up out of the blue to ask the questions either. We'll phone you up and we'll agree a time. So that allows you, you know, some consideration time to to think about some of the answers anyway, if, if they're not
0: necessarily there on the tip of your tongue at that time. Nicola, is yes a sufficient answer or do you need evidence
1: um i we're, think yeah go on emma so we, we're not we're not asking for any um additional evidence to support um you know the the, the questions it is meant to be a conversation yeah. um i'll go back to you know one of the things i think i said first was about we want to capture innovation and make sure that is shared so where you have worked really hard in pcns to Completely change the way that you've been working or change to hot and cold sites and so on. That's really important to learn about. And you know, you're, the massive uptake of virtual appointments um, that have been offered that's all really important innovation that shows how primary care has really risen to the challenge of, of the pandemic. And we also want to hear about the barriers that have. Um, stopped you being able to to make those changes in a in an easy and streamlined way as well so we're not asking for bits of evidence to support
3: I think um, what I'm just looking at the question further down about um, you know us missing the point Um, I understand that practices will be anxious and want to know where they are in a category because um, as a regulator in the past we have used intelligence Um, which we have used to assess whether we make a decision to consider inspection or not as a regulator and to support improvement, etc. However, um, and this is where the challenge is and challenge comes, is that this support framework is about the regulator supporting the health and social care system and not collecting evidence, unless in a really extreme or a high risk has been identified, to be using that to either rate, you know, um, store evidence, use that to make a decision about future regulation and inspection. It's purely an assessment of the process where you are, with a couple of intentions which aren't a reg- necessarily us taking a regulatory approach. But it's to collate that information to either, if we identify in a specific area that there are certain practices that, for example, um, um, say um, there was a particular focus on COVID that, that was really struggling with, and I don't want to use the one PPE because obviously that, that, that's still a struggle for some areas, depending on where you are in the country. But if that's something that is a flavour that's coming out across a specific area, that this is something that we will be flagging up to our national other colleagues in other organisations to whilst you may be doing that in other ways, we also will be doing that to highlight and make improvements and get things put in place um, where we can. And so it's going to be the information we're using for the actual assessment tool is for a very different purpose this time which I'd like to try and reiterate, but I understand from your perspectives as practices that that's going to be difficult for you to perhaps either even accept as we are the regulator.
0: I think it's just a concern about the intelligence tool that in the past didn't actually work particularly well. So how do we know what you're using now and how do we know what how that's indicating where you are as a, as your rating. Um, and if we knew more about that it, and what our rating was, we might help us understand the tool and respect the evidence the tool's giving you. Yeah, but the
3: the information is purely identifying a, that, that, that a practice may need help. So if we're, and, and some of that information and intelligence is weighted. So for example, if we'd undertaken an ARR in um, conversation with you and converted um, that annual regulatory review in the previous financial year and converted that to an inspection and we hadn't undertaken that, or you were rated as inadequate or requires improvement, that would have a significantly more higher uh, rating that would push up, push you up into one of those very high or high categories. Whereas some of the other data that, We know that sometimes there's some irregularities with and also, um, you know, the GP per thousand, as the example Emma gave, that that actually um, has a lower weighting and we're not using it to assess whether you're a good, bad or indifferent practice. We're using it as a, a point in time to try and assess actually would that practice require some support and should we have a conversation with them based on what we know.
0: And then during the conversation, can the process affect the rating or encourage an earlier inspection if you're not happy with the answers that maybe have been given? No, it's no. not.
3: <laughs> unless, unless somebody says to us something that is a real high risk. So, I don't know, somebody talks to us about a safeguarding thing that they haven't even bothered to um, report or something like that. We, you know, we're not going to be using this from a regulatory perspective. You know at, you know it's going to be extremely rare where that's happened it's just an open conversation to look at are there any areas that you may need some help or support with And
4: so so are we looking here at a completely separate process to the regulatory process so whatever you discover during this support framework Um, that is not going to be used later on when the inspections are reintroduced, or could they be? I think... Go on, Emma. I was going to say,
1: Carol and everyone, the answer is it is a separate process, but as Nicola just alluded to, in extreme circumstances, we still have a duty to follow up on unsafe care and practice. Uh, And so if there was something... um, Disclose as part of those calls, and I, I'm really struggling to Im- imagine um, something that you know so severe that would trigger that. Then, obviously, we've got a duty to use that information and look at that from a regulatory point of view. But in terms of informing future inspections or ratings and so on, it is a separate process, it is meant to be about supporting
0: the system. I think it might be helpful, maybe, if you give us some examples of how you've supported practices when they've mentioned something that they're struggling with.
3: So this is a difficulty for us because um, if you bear in mind that the GP um, in support framework was only released a couple of weeks ago. Um, and, and I know, for example, in my team, we haven't done that many yet. And they're still in their planning programme. Um, so it's difficult for me to answer that
0: personally do you i don't know if you have do you have some list of supports that you can offer when someone yes, is alive yes, on, the, on the yes. call yes. you can say oh if you've got a problem with this this is the phone yes. number to give yeah. or, so okay. um
3: it, it, so for every question depending on the directorate so if it's adult social care pms gp practices or hospitals um when the uh, inspector goes through the questions which again you can see on the website Um, On the information they have in front of them, there's another column that has um, loads of links and different things that can be suggested to the practice for them to be able to access support. But it also may be localised to that because there might be some nuances across different local areas.
4: Okay, um, we're on that list, Nicola. Um, I'm The LMC's on your list as uh, Support. I'm not sure if they are specifically yeah. written. Oh, are they?
3: They are. Okay. They definitely yeah. are. Excellent. Yeah. Well, that's good. <laughs> At the top, I think you'll find yeah, capitals. <laughs> I think um, you know from conversate from my our conversations that you know across the country it may be varied, but certainly um, you know all of the inspectors are aware that they can suggest other support avenues to practices if they require, and that might be health watch uh, sorry um lmc's ccg nhs england and other some other sources that we have too to be
0: able to help okay that's great i um, just comment. can is that a public list can anybody look at that list? can the practice look at that list already to see what support that is it could be very helpful for them
3: um i don't think it, we've published the questions but we haven't published the full list um, so the we could take list. that away and see if there's a, a reason why that couldn't be i can ask that question but at the minute it's not publicly available
0: thank you um one practice says you know if we feel we're supported we're doing well we're happy how we are if it's not part of the regulatory inspection can we decline the call
1: yeah so shall i take this one yeah, go so, for it. Uh, yes you can you can decline it um but uh, what i would encourage you to think about is actually if you do have one of these conversations it's contributing to the wider understanding of how systems have coped or not coped, um, depending on where you are during the pandemic. So yes, you're not obliged to have this conversation. It's not a regulatory function, but I would really hope that people would feel able and um, I would encourage you to take part in them. Okay, just to comment on timing.
0: We're a few months into COVID now. Is it a little bit late yeah so
3: i i understand where you're coming from with that because yes yes we could have put it in place but i think there's a fine balance to be to be sought and at the very beginning if we'd have started to try and introduce these calls then i think some practices you know that they're, they're finding the process stressful now and we are you know we, we are aware of what um is coming at us in terms of Knowing, you know what's going to happen, the flow of patients, you know, um, and everything else is kind of set up around us. Whereas if we'd introduced this at the very start, when we were all trying to put new things in place, I think that might have been probably another thing that tipped people over the edge. So we have been trying to think about that balance, but also is introducing it at a moment in time where we as emma suggested and we talked about collating that information to give a bigger picture across the country um we needed to allow some time to pass so that people have had that experience and can share with us the things that were good bad or indifferent
0: okay and i think this sort of comes to the end of the questions there carol did you want to ask anything or comment in any way
4: um, no, not not really. Um I, I would say and I don't know if Nigel's gonna kill me for saying this, but we you know, um the GPC has been looking at whether or not it's mandatory to do the calls and actually they are they are supportive of them going ahead. Um, in terms of, you know, getting a picture, as you say, a national picture on what support's available and how different areas are, are managing. I personally think you've given some reassurance. Um, once you've left the call, I'm sure I'll get the truth. Um, um, and if we do get any more questions that haven't that occurred to people, Um, then we will um, come back to you afterwards. Um, Just for everybody to know, um, uh, Nicola, Emma and Patrick have agreed to answer any questions for us on our FAQs. Um, I would say that the questions that that are being asked about COVID, they are on our website over COVID-19 and it's got CQC next to it. So if you want a, a quick look rather than fall through CQC's website, it is there, but um, can I just say thank you to Nicola, Emma and Patrick for joining us and um, we will keep in touch, obviously, um, practices will let us know if, if they've, they've got any um, problems arising from any of the calls and things and we will feed that back to you so that, um, you know, you are getting information from the ground. Okay. Yeah, thank you for the opportunity, okay. everyone. And then uh, and we'll come back to you short
3: with, with questions as quickly as we can. Thank you Bye. ever so much. Thanks, Nicola. Thanks very much.
4: Thanks okay. You. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for joining us, Nigel.
2: Pleasure as always.
4: <laughs> We've, uh, we have um, assumed right at the very beginning and announced that you would no doubt be talking about antibody testing as one of your... Um, bits to cover so i mean uh and i don't know if there's anything else you wanted to talk about the general picture are those your cqc questions or is that just i was
2: just i was just very impressed how well behaved all the practice managers were with all the questions very uh of
4: course i think
2: you gave this gave cqc a very easy ride not that i expected you to be new. well that's fine
4: everybody they're our guests and you always say to us we must nicely.
2: I don't think you should be rude to people. You know that I don't think you should be rude to people. I'm not, I'm, I'm complimenting, not criticizing. <laughs> I think, I think talking to LMC's around the country who don't have a very good relationship with CQC, where everything's very adversarial, you know, I, you know, I would, you know, part of what the GPC keeps putting evidence in, I think some of the, if we come out of COVID times, I think some of the, what CQC end up doing is very tick box and makes very little difference to the quality or assessing the quality, so I think there's a whole issue about CQC and what they're expected to do as an organisation around the country. I think locally we have a good relationship with CQC and work well with them um, in a job that they have to do. There's one or two inspectors who sometimes go a bit off-piste, but you know we address that at the time. Um, I'll, So I wasn't going to talk about CQC. (laughs) Um, So I was just going to say generally around the three counties the activity is pretty stable. Um, The admissions to hospital, ventilated patients, people on critical care has fallen. We're now beginning to see what's being called the COVID syndrome which is people infected with COVID virus who then don't recover fully and are um, have some prolonged Illnesses, which could be neurological, could be respiratory, could be something else. So that's being recognised, which is why rehabilitation has been in the news. Clearly all the systems are still planning for a second peak. Um, There is ongoing concern that we will get a second peak in September. Although some of this is being modified in areas to think that we might not see a national peak. What we might do is see regional variation. And you might see one part of the country or even in one city a significant peak like happened in Western Supermare. And again, the discussion then is how do you um, shut down those areas to stop the spread rather than do it for the whole country? And there's no answer to that. The modelling continues. And I still think the modelling is suggesting we might get a second peak in September time. Um, much of our focus, and I'm sure a lot of yours, is about this um, ongoing restoration and recovery. So, you know, as the need for hot sites diminishes, how do you um, not get rid of them, but you can uh, mothball them or reduce them to the level of activity that's needed and then returning to making use of um, the remote consultations, the video consultations, um, video conferencing and keeping face to face to a minimum. So I know all practices are working on that at the moment. And there is an expectation that we get back up to full capacity, but we keep having to remind people that um, doing video consultations isn't quicker than face to face. And if you're having to organise all that, and particularly when you can't examine people, you need to take a much longer and more detailed history. So this idea that we could just get back to normal work is, is a misnomer, to say the least the bit about hot sites is we i mean we've proved them once that we can step them up pretty quickly so we've learned a lot of lessons and again stepping them down doesn't particularly worry me because i think having had a practice at doing it if we needed to and we suspend other work and get that going then we could do that clearly there are things like cervical screening coming back online the immunizations they don't want to miss and, there, and there's a small issue of shielded and care home patients, which each system is managing in a different way, but generally finding solutions to those challenges. What probably gives me greater concern at the moment, and although, you know, recognize as practice managers, you're doing a huge amount of work to try and keep your practice activity continuing um, with the challenges that you have. But the hospitals are re-gearing up to doing routine work, but their waiting lists are getting longer and longer. They're having to take beds out, so they're losing a third of their beds so that they can have social distancing in their wards. So that means even the ongoing activity will probably cope with some of the cancer work and some of the emergency stuff, but there isn't a lot of capacity for elective stuff. When they also then start doing outpatients and they're running outpatients at a third of the normal capacity, the concern I have and many others have is the the way they might deal with that is push more work into general practice. And we've already had examples of um, areas sort of writing saying, oh, we've spoken to this person on the phone or video consulted them from the hospital. We need these following tests. Please, could you sort them out? So we've got to be really careful that we monitor that. And I'd, I just ask you to speak to your GPs to say if they notice that's beginning to happen, not only to push back, but let us know. Um, COVID vaccination is going well, Um, they're now well into the second phase and they're recruiting people in Southampton up to the age of 70. Um, I would just like to thank practices who've uh, worked with us and with the vaccination team who are trying to deliver this at breakneck speed where the patient questionnaires have come in that they've returned them quickly. There are one or two practices that um, haven't and I'll just contact them politely to ask them if they can help us to help get the vaccine out as soon as possible. We still don't know when the vaccine will be available. There is some concern that it might come out at a similar time to flu vaccination. Personally, I find it hard to believe they'll be able to do that at that time. And they are a bit challenged with the lack of COVID in the community. So people who are being vaccinated aren't really being exposed to the virus in the community. So it's difficult at the moment to see what, how effective the um, vaccine is. There is also some suggestion that it might be a not a single vaccine, but a vaccine plus a booster. And you know, the question comes: if we sort out how we're going to mass vaccinate flu, how are we going to mass vaccinate COVID? And I would politely suggest that the there's only one uh, organisation that's able to deliver mass vaccination at speed, and that unfortunately is something called general practice. But you know more of that will come later if that's how the government decide to do it um the other bit we're dealing with at the moment is um there's lots of regional groups been set up and looking at where we are now and there's sort of three questions which is what is it that you're doing now you want to keep so that what transformation has happened what is it that you stop doing that you want to return And what is it that we'd like to lose or not come back? And I was asked recently at a regional meeting, what is the one thing I'd like to see continue? And my answer was the permissive nature of just being allowed to get on with it without the bureaucracy and the barriers that are put in our way. There are many other things I want, but I would quite like um, the sort of hand of NHS England not to descend and stop us doing what uh, we want to get on and do. And I think that again comes to the digital stuff that the change that's happened with you know, significant numbers of laptops being delivered, webcams to support remote working, um, e-consult, remote consultations with AQRX, but others are coming online as well. The use of Microsoft Teams and using that for um, meetings and um, the pilots that are going on to remote monitoring as well, which will save practices time. So the digital stuff, and also upgrading m 3 connections to being faster in practices. So all that's really important. And then moving on to the workforce about how do we expand the workforce? How do we capitalise on the people who have made themselves available and make, make that useful for them and for us? And also using the funding for PCNs to expand the workforce. So that's most of it. Then we come on to the little issue of antibody testing. So this has um, generated a lot of discussion. So let me be absolutely clear. The antibody testing has no place in the clinical management of patients. It, it tells you whether somebody's been exposed to the virus and has mounted an immune response and got antibodies. It does not tell you whether that person is immune from a future infection. That answer we don't know and won't know for some time. So you cannot use this as an individual to say, oh, it's really interesting. I'm now immune to COVID. I can change my behaviour. I don't need to wear PPE. I can go out where I want. I don't need to socially distance because I'm not at risk. That is extremely dangerous. And that is the downside and the negative side. I understand why people might want out of interest to know whether they've been exposed to the virus and whether they've got antibodies or not. But that's it is not it doesn't have a place in the clinical management the slight caveat to that is there is an antibody test being used in a and e which is a finger prick takes 20 minutes and um, without getting into detailed immunology if you're exposed to an infection you get a immediate response of your igm antibodies which go to fight the infection and that will indicate you may have a current infection In the longer term, you produce things called IgG, which is the antibodies that we test for. So the hospital antibody test is being used in clinical terms, but what we're talking about, the mass testing of venous blood, is looking at IgG and is not a thing that we would use clinically to say people are immune. It is also not an occupational health test, so it's not something that an employer can ask their employee to have, and then change the way they employ them or change their status or the way they work. So that begs the question, why do we want to test? And the reason for testing is really for public health measures. So it would be very useful to know how many people in a particular area have been exposed to the virus. So if you have an area um, somewhere in the country where nobody in that community have got a positive test, then you know that there hasn't been widespread community exposure to the COVID virus and we know that significant numbers of patients will have had COVID but not have had any significant symptoms they may not know they've had it. So this is a public health measure it is not a clinical measure. So the question then comes is the government has said we would like this to be offered to NHS staff and have particularly said that to be done over the next six weeks so they can identify in the NHS staff who've been exposed to the infection or not. In the hospitals, they are generally going, the hospitals are arranging it and doing in their occupational health department. So that leaves general practice. So where does general practice sit? So the first thing to say is, you are being asked, would you be prepared to offer it to your staff? So the first point is, this is not compulsory, it is something that is optional that you may offer. You then get into the point about Do you offer that as an employer or do you suggest anybody that wants it goes to their registered practice and gets it uh, their registered practice? Now, there will be numbers of staff who don't want it done. There will be a number of staff who want it to be done and the practice may decline so may turn up at their practice. So each practice needs to decide how they're going to manage this and how they're going to manage it potentially within their PCN because Staff will not be registered generally with their practice, but may go somewhere else. There are some unknown concerns that remain. So some of the CCGs have suggested that you should register the patient as an immediately necessary treatment. We all agree these aren't TRs. So if you want to offer this service to your practice um, and you want to generate a blood test, at the moment we can't see how you can do that unless you register the patient or the registered practice produce the form that you do in your practice but if you're going to do it as an immediately necessary treatment that doesn't actually fall within the regulations that um, are set out for the NHS the discussion i've had with some of the, well with one of the ccg or some of the ccgs today is that of course covid and the covid act puts us in different times and the ccg are asking people to do this and there are um, other examples where we're not following the regulations at the moment because COVID has overtaken it. So, you know, very much this will be left up to practices to decide. There is still ongoing discussion in the government uh, and NHS England. In an ideal world, they'd have come out and commissioned the service and said, you know, we want X or Y to provide this, and this is the contract. This is that's not how it is. So we're we're sort of left in this um, area of uncertainty. So you know, practices will have to make an individual decision whether they're prepared to offer it for their staff. And if you are going to do that, they don't want all the tests done immediately. They want it done over a six week period. So they want you to stagger doing it. Or if you're declining it, um, it's probably worth the practice managers talking to their other practice managers to see whether people are happy to do it on their own patients or not, um, and how they're going to work that out because there's no one size going to fit all um i think um that's probably all i'm going to say and um, i'm happy to answer any questions
0: there's just a couple then nigel thank you um so west hampshire ccg yesterday asked all the practices to test their own staff
2: yes so that's um a conversation i've been having with west hampshire today so i think that the same the same ask will be there um, but they're looking at the guidance they put out and the, and, and the information we put out. But it will be optional. It's not, it, you know, everybody has agreed, including the CCGs, that this is not compulsory for you to offer this to yourself. It's an option. In some places, so I've been in contact with people in Birmingham, Liverpool, Sheffield, to see what everybody else is doing and trying to learn is there an easier way of doing that. For example, in Birmingham, they've suggested everybody goes to the hospital to have their blood test. Personally, I can't see the sense in sending lots of, pe- lots of our staff into hospitals where there is COVID available um, and the risk of infecting them. I just think that's not something I would recommend. And it's not on offer to us at the moment. None of the hospitals have agreed to do it. But they, the discussions haven't finished about antibody testing. They are continuing.
0: OK. North Hans also have asked um, practices to test their own staff. Just for information. Um, Is there a deadline in practice, need to decide whether to offer to staff?
2: No, I mean, they're trying to do the, the staff testing over the next six weeks, but they don't want it all at once. So, if you look on, or if your GPs look on the ICE forms, they've put the COVID request on there. So, they don't want it all to happen this week. The CCGs were put under quite a lot of pressure nationally to come back with. Um, what they were doing to deliver it but I understand that that pressure has somewhat um, come off a bit um, while there is still some discussions going on nationally so if practices wish to go ahead and do it and offer that to their staff and I can understand why they would then they can go ahead and do it but just don't do everybody in the same weeks stagger it over the next three or four weeks.
0: Okay and just um... a question on we've been asked to do some pre-admission COVID tests for areas by the hospitals.
2: So yeah, very happy to do that. Where's the contract? Where's the funding for it? So So, should the
0: practices be doing it?
2: No, so it's part of the hospital. I mean, I've had some discussions in Southampton who are worried about, you know, elderly patients coming up to the hospital to have a blood test in a taxi and going back and I said, you know, I think that that is, you know, not good for the patient and we shouldn't be doing that, in which case if they want that done in general practice then they need to contract to do it or arrange to do it at a community clinic or somewhere else the hospital and the commissioners can i mean to my mind that's part of what the covid fund is there for this is and i can see why they want people tested a week to 10 days before they go in and then to self-isolate so we reduce the risk of the spread of infection and dragging people up to the hospital and exposing the risk doesn't seem sensible to me but just pushing work into general practice and saying, general practice will push it up. Unless um, all the practice managers on this call have got loads of capacity and they've got nurses and HCA sitting around with their feet up, drinking coffee with not a lot to do, then I would suggest uh, if they want that, we need to be clear what, what they want offered and, and what the contract is to deliver it.
0: Okay, just a final one, because you just mentioned that one there, just Nigel. Um, any extension for COVID funding to remain? Um, any extension of the funding?
2: Well, I mean, the, the challenge has been that the there was talk of a GP National COVID fund, which still hasn't been agreed and published. So there is ongoing discussion between the GPC, NHS England, the Department of Health and HM Treasury, and it just hasn't been signed off. And I think it, we're, we're just waiting for you know what we've discussed uh, with many of the CCGs is there is you know, where we've got to at the moment is practices were asked to divert um, all their resources to managing COVID. We've now come to, okay, there's not as much COVID around as was expected. So restart all your services. We're going to reach a point in the not too distant future that practices will reach capacity. And then there's COVID work that will then be seen as above and beyond. So my argument to region and nationally is there is a point where you know if we're asked to work for a weekend to try and cope with the Covid then that has been funded before but if you look at some of the ongoing work with hot sites and doing more for shielding um, and the care home stuff then we need to identify what is additionality and what they've agreed nationally is if it's additional work directly related to Covid and it's been agreed with the commissioners then they will fund it so commissioners have been paying for that so the two bits are it must be additional They're not going to pay twice for it. And the second bit is, you know, if you're proposing a service or the CCG is working with you, then it's got to be, you know, an agreed way of doing it. But what I would like to see is Treasury sign off with NHS England so we can all be clear what that fund is, because I think although, you know, we've work for the last eight weeks delivering what we were expected to and I think practices have done phenomenally well as I've said um, on several occasions and I think practice managers have often not got enough credit for the work of trying to organise these GPs They're not always the easiest people trying to herd cats is um, probably a nice way of putting it but I know it's more difficult than that at times so the, the challenge now is moving forward you know that I won't say we've done the easy bit but trying to establish all those services again with social distancing and, um, you know, with using PPE and some of the staff and doctors having to work remotely because they've got medical conditions or they're shielded or those other things is a real challenge. If we add into that the need to mass vaccinate for flu, COVID and get a peak, we're, you know, we're going to be really struggling. So this idea that we can just move all the work into general practice is just complete and of cobblers. We've got to, We've got to be, you know, really sure of what we're doing, why we're doing it. And it's work that we'd expect general practice to do. But be really clear if the workload is getting too great, that, that we, we actually have those discussions early to push back on getting additional capacity.
0: Thanks, Nigel. I'm just conscious of time. So, Carol, um, if I just come to you next to give your um, overview, please. And I know there's quite a lot of questions coming in. If you don't get to them today, we
4: will certainly put them on the FAQs. Okay, I'll be very, very brief then. Um, I'm, I think one of the things that people keep asking us is about COAF funding, and I think it's quite important to, to make that clear. So at the moment, um, the calculations have been done, and the idea is, as you all know, if you're um, funding for eighteen nineteen. Was higher than what you've achieved for 1920, given that you stopped quite early um, because of lockdown, etc. Then you should get your 1819 funding. And I would say that that it has been recognised that the prevalence um, is different in 1920. That's been taken into account, as has the fact that the quaff point is is uh, worth a bit more. So all those calculations have been done you will get the higher of the two, but we also understand there's a little caveat that if for whatever reason your funding jumps up by quite a large amount, something around 30 points, there may well be a discussion to be had um, between you and the CCG. Um, If that happens, let us know, we will support you obviously, um, but just, just be aware. The other question that gets asked is how long is the QOF funding going to be available for? Um, I mean initially it was going to be until October because the peak didn't happen, because things have changed, it's ongoing under review. That's all we can say unless you can add anything different Nigel.
2: Yeah I think it's still, what what, what NHS England have said is if you have capacity please don't ignore long-term condition management, do what you can and and do as much as you can using video consult or remote. So the idea that things in the past had to be face-to-face, that's gone out of the window. So they are still planning to reintroduce in October, but if we get a second wave or it becomes difficult, then that may well change. So, you know, my advice to practices is is um, they never said COF cough, cough was um, disbanded or totally, you know, stopped. What they said is focused your effort on um, COVID and we'll take account of that. So... My advice is, you know, talk to the GPs about long-term com- management long-term condition management, and you know, work with that and record with, record with it, because there is quite a lot of concern. the The unintended consequence of COVID is that we might get lots of people who are adversely affected medically after this because people have ignored their cancer or or other things.
0: There's a concern that um, there's an expectation we'll do 12 months' work in nine months, um, having lost three months of cough. Yeah okay so we're moving on to um anybody know if microsoft teams was for three months
2: um it was initially it was initially that's being discussed as part of the office 365 offers throughout the nhs there's been quite significant lobbying to say if you really want us to work remotely and do all the things we need microsoft teams so i would be pretty hopeful that it the contract will continue I also think, you know, we've got Microsoft Teams in the office. Um, Our functionality is much greater than the NHS Teams, um, which I've watched my wife slightly struggle with. Um, And I think as we go forward, they're going to turn on some of the more functionality. So I would hope that will continue.
4: also as well, um, because we know Accurix at the moment is actually free, uh, there's there's an expectation there'll be a cost to that going forward. uh, And actually the signs are quite good that that will continue too.
2: And actually with Accurix, there may be a bit that some of it is free, but if you want any of the add-ons that make the functionality better, that's what will cost. So again, what we want is the full functioning version with all the bells and whistles, but we'll we'll wait and see. Um, Carol, should
0: we if we're able to do some quaff work should we be working to new Croft for this year and um, just to clarify does it mean you get penalized for doing well in quaff for 19 20 19, there's obviously just a little bit of anxiety about that
2: so you should you should do the quaff work if you can this year the new the new quaff work but you shouldn't get penalized for last year if you did well last year I mean, everybody's in the same boat. I mean, I'll reiterate the message, which is, please don't get your GPs to sit back and say, oh, quaffs, no, not important anymore. We don't need to do anything.
0: Okay, we've just got uh, just an HR issue, which we haven't had much HR um, recently. If staff are told they can return to work on the 30th of June and we cannot accommodate them in their current role, which is clinical, what can we do with them if there's nothing they can do within the practice
4: due to lack of space and they are unable to work from home? it'd be helpful if if the person who's asked that could give us what they believe the scenario is because if you accommodated them before why can't you accommodate them now um if we are looking still at doing some remote working and some different things and and i think people have started to use premises in lots of different ways i know we're going to have to do um work in different ways in premises in terms of throughput and you know keeping people safe give us a bit more because i'm not sure why that's come up now and why it's any different to what it was before. So um, I'm, I'm obviously missing something. So if we can have that privately, we will discuss it and come and we'll, we'll put it on the FAQs um, afterwards. Brilliant. Okay, I think we better leave
0: it there. That's two o'clock. Thank you so much, everybody, for um, joining us today. Thank you for panelists and thank you for CQC. And as any questions we haven't come to, we will put on the
4: FAQs. And Carol's going to say something else. Only, only that I want to give you the heads up that on the twenty fourth of june that is going to be a clinical um webinar so it won't be the practice manager one it'll be one of nigel's famous ones with all his wonderful speakers so we won't be doing um a pm webinar that particular week but do feel free to join in with the the clinical one because there's always some stuff that comes up you need
0: and we will be um, here in the same place this time next week on the 17th we will yeah thanks very much everybody i'll speak to you soon